Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. It is indeed a whiteboard Sunday. If you're new, we're pretty weird here, so we like whiteboards. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Uh, I feel, anybody get sunburned this weekend at all? Anybody try to? I tried very hard. I even went to a party and didn't bring sunglasses. That's how confident I was. Um, well, we are starting the book of Acts, and I thought, what better way to start the book of Acts than to read a passage of scripture in a different book? So, if you notice, we read Luke. Curveball, got you. Uh, we are starting the book of Acts, and um, if you were with us last week at Easter, what a great time. Uh, we, we talked a lot about doubt, actually, and how the resurrection is just this beautiful display of, of casting away our doubts. And there was three kind of vignettes that we talked about where you have these different reasons why people doubt, and Jesus kind of approaches all of them and basically just punches them all in the face. And today... We're moving forward from that doubt and asking kind of the, basically the question of like, okay, what now, right? Uh, Easter is great, and, you know, we were praying this morning in our production meeting, and I just felt like God was like, hey, like, it's still Easter. Like, I've still resurrected. I'm still doing things, and we're not done here, right? Even though we get one day a year to celebrate Easter, like, our, the narrative of followers of Jesus is that, that we live as though Easter is real every day. Uh, and so the book of Acts, if you didn't know, is the sequel to Luke. Luke has written the book of Acts uh, as the follow-up of Luke was focused all around the, the gospel account of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. And then the book of Acts is all about the Acts of the Apostles. That's why on here it says the Acts of the Apostles. We call it just Acts for short, but it's actually the Acts of the Apostles. And it's the things that they're doing now in light of what has happened. So for us, I love the pool illustration because it might not be as nice next week or the next few weeks, but it still keeps me excited about summer coming. Um, <laughs> And uh, this idea of, of diving in the deep end, like, you know, the disciples had had their hand held for a very long time, and at some point, Jesus had to kind of, like, cleave that and be like, look, like, I'm leaving, I'm not leaving you, I've brought someone for you, the Spirit, and you're going to go do the very things that I've, I've showed you how to do. So for many of us, the resurrection then, and the response to that is, okay, like, what do we do, right? There is not just this sense of, that's great, and then I'm just going to sit here, but how do we dive into the deep end? So if you want to turn, uh, if you're not already there, Luke 24, we're going to uh, start here. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back. Jerry would love to give you one if you would like. You can steal that and take that home. Um, but while we're turning there, if you, if you pay attention to Luke 24, I'm going to read the beginning of the book of Acts while you're looking at Luke 24. And you're going to be surprised at the similarities here. So Acts 1 through 4 says, I wrote the former account, Theopolis, so Luke is his writing to his buddy Theopolis, which is a great name, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. To the same apostles also, after his suffering, he presented himself alive with many convincing proofs. He was seen by them over a 40-day period and spoke about matters concerning the kingdom of God. And while he was with them, he declared, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait there for my for my, what my father promised, which you have heard about from me. 
So if you, if you kind of like listening to that and maybe like looking at Luke 24, it's kind of a similar transition towards the end. And Luke is, is kind of like cutting the ends together in some ways. And so what I want to focus on and the reason why we're talking about Luke today is it sets the stone for understanding the book of Acts and what it means for us to do. So last week we talked about these different people with disbeliefs and things like that. And one of the coolest vignettes that we talked about last was the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They had heard that uh, they'd followed Jesus the whole way. They had heard that he was not in the tomb, right? But they hadn't seen him. And so they're kind of ditching Jerusalem. And their belief clearly was not enough to keep them there. And they're on their way talking about all the things that had happened and processing through everything. And Jesus shows up on the road and uh, starts talking to them. They don't recognize him. And, and they start to, you know, say, well, you know, like this Jesus of Nazareth, he, he did this thing. He claimed to be a prophet. And then he died. And then now we don't really know. And, and he looks at them. And he kind of just, like, rebukes them and is like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? And then he gives them the best lesson. of uh, he, he helps them understand all the scriptures. It's like the best hour seminar with Jesus. It's like a TED Talk, but it's just the best TED Talk ever about the Bible. And so Jesus gives them this and, and kind of illuminates the scripture to their understanding. And I think about that. We personally have the Bible. We can read it. We can try and understand it as best we can. We can read commentaries and scholars and listen to podcasts and all this type of stuff, right? We can become illuminated to the scripture and the story of Jesus. And what's fascinating is that Jesus not only does that to these two, but then he, they figure out who he is, and, and he basically vanishes. And he vanishes, and then these two disciples are like, oh my gosh, like this was real, we need to go back and tell the apostles. So they go back to their disciples, the apostles, and they tell them. And, uh, and Jesus appears then again. And that's where he says what Lucas was reading, peace be with you, because they're terrified. They're like, oh my gosh, it's a ghost. And all of them are seeing Jesus. And he basically, again, says, hey, touch my wounds. And as if that's not enough, my favorite thing, I love this, he, uh, he just eats a piece of fish. He's like, you guys got any food here? Like, can you just throw me some fish, and I'll eat it, and then be like, wow, he is real, you know? I like to think of it like, have you ever seen the Pirates of the Caribbean, where the first one, where uh, uh, Captain Barbosa or whatever is drinking the wine, and then in the dark, it's just like going down his stomach, you know? Like, it's like, look, guys, I can eat fish, okay? I didn't just fall through me, all right? It didn't disappear. I'm real. And he's just continuing to give them evidence. And then what he does is, he opens their minds to the scripture. It says in verse 40, uh, 44 in Luke, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Remember, he taught them all these things, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. They had all these books. They knew, they knew all these writings. He was explaining them. And it says in verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. So Jesus goes from giving them a subjective experience, like the reality of, hey, touch my wounds, see that I'm real, watch me eat food, I'm real. But then he also gives them the intellectual, the knowledge, the objective knowledge of understanding him. And, and together, these pair together and make a pretty powerful dose for them to handle. And so uh, I brought the whiteboard up here today because I, I want to compare these two ideas. The first one that I talked about was subjective experience. Um, I'm going to try to write this way so I don't block it. So subjective experience is basically centered around an experience, whether it's emotions, feelings, but it, in some ways it's subjective, meaning that not everybody can say the exact same thing about the experience that they had had. For instance, you could go to a food place, and let's say you just hate uh, Asian food, and you go to an Asian place, and you go with all your friends, and you're trying to be a good friend, and you go there, 
And everybody loves it, but you hate it because you don't like Asian food. And so if I asked you, what do you think? They said, oh, it was terrible, one out of 10. But I asked everyone else, oh, it was amazing, nine out of 10, it was so good. Well, who is right? Really, no one, right? I mean, it's kind of your own experience. So subjective is based on you know, emotions, feelings, personal experience, okay? And that is essentially what Jesus does for the disciples on the road to Emmaus at first, right? So they don't recognize him, okay? And then uh, after everything is said and done, he vanishes, and then he shows up to all the disciples, and he's saying, hey, if you don't believe me, like, experience this. Like, stick your finger in my gaping wound in my stomach, right? Touch the holes in my hands. Like, like know and experience this. And all of them are feeling different things and experiencing different things, but at the end of the day, he's giving them that opportunity. So that's a subjective experience. Now, an objective, which is, is very different, is more based upon intellect. So that's like a principle that you would know that you would believe to be truth. So for those of you who are like engineers or math or spreadsheets, this is like, this is your jam. You're like, this number is two. And it's, everybody believes it to be two. There's no question on that, right? So this is more like rational, um, logical brain kind of, right, like intellect. And these two, You'll see them, them compared, and I don't know about you, but in your own personal walk with Jesus, you've probably experienced a degree of some of these, right? And maybe you, maybe you lean more to one side than the other. Like, you've, you've had some powerful experiences, and you're like, man, God is so real. Like, he proved himself in this way to me. But it's not something that maybe translates to your friend. They're like, well, I didn't experience that, so whatever. Or maybe you're just more heady, and you, like, love concepts and intellect and ideas, and so you, you try to focus on these principles, or you're a philosophy guy, or, you know, and you're like, I want to know these I want to be able to argue this to where it's airtight in my brain. And so Jesus gives us kind of both of these, right? Because not only does he show them and reveal to himself the wounds in his hands and this experience of, I'm real, watch me eat this fish, but he also gives them, opens their minds to the scriptures. Now what's interesting is the Pharisees knew the scriptures probably better than the disciples, and you don't see them following Jesus, right? And uh, Judas, who was, saw everyone in Jesus' miracles and chose to betray him, also didn't end up following him. So clearly there's this tension between these two that at the end of the day is maybe not enough. And this is the reality that we see as we're getting into the book of Acts is as the disciples had been blathering around and these, both these areas, they're kind of playing this idolatry of like, well, this is super important to me and this is super important to me. And Jesus is like, look, let's stop all of this. And when we, when we read about the road to Emmaus, what actually causes the game changer for them? It's relationship. It's intimacy. They realized that it was Jesus when they had broke bread, when they had had a dinner and they looked at him face to face and he broke bread in front of them. That's when they had realized. That's when it clicked. And so this, this idea of relationship is the foundation for these two pieces. And, and I think we're going we're gonna to get into that more as we see it. Um, a good way to think about it is like if we use the ocean, okay? Um, maybe you've, you've never swam in the ocean, but you know lots of cool facts about it. You're like, well, Trey, the ocean is 38,000 feet deep. I read that in a book, and everybody agrees, and they measured it. And you're like, great, you know that thing. That's super great. But have you ever swam in the ocean? Have you ever experienced how deep it is? Oh, no, 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 I don't swim in the ocean. I'm like, okay, well, that's good that you know that, but if you've never really, like, experienced it, there's only so much, like, weight that that has, right? I'm not going to, like, trust you to go dive down and grab something for me in the ocean. Whereas on the other hand, you could have a diver who's who's been swimming his whole life and can dive, but you want him to go to this very specific point, and he's never read a map, right? He doesn't have any sort of um, nautical experience in, in, a, in, in an intellectual way. And he's just like, yeah, I just feel it out, and I go find things. And you're like, well, I, that's not what I need, right? I need, I need to know where are we going, and, and what is the direction? 
you wouldn't trust either one of those, right? There's this marrying of both of them. It's one thing to say you know the sea, and it's another thing to experience it. But both of those things have a beautiful marrying of one another, and we kind of idolize sometimes one or the other. But what I love about this tension is Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, in his, in his book uh, to the Church of Ephesus, he like grounds this exactly how Jesus is doing it, and it's going to explain this. So he says this. He prays a prayer for the Church of Ephesus. He says... I pray that according to the wealth of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power of his spirit in the inner person so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And so that because you have been rooted and grounded in love, start there, rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth, and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled up to all of the fullness of of God. Paul here is doing the exact same thing Jesus is doing. So the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, um, you know, Jesus opens their minds, and then they, they, like, he's walking with them. He later shows his wounds, and they get both of these experiences. But at the end of the day, we know that Jesus is still rooting all of this in relationship, in intimacy, in union with him. And we see this with Peter, even. Peter makes a big mistake. He denies, um, he denies Jesus three times, classic scene, like literally eight hours later after. He's like, I'll die for you. And then he uh, gets scared by a girl around a fire, and he denies him three times. And bad, bad, just, yeah, unfortunate friend. Um, and then later, Jesus restores him. And he kind of has this beautiful scene. We don't have time to go into it. But this beautiful scene of him restoring Peter saying, hey, at the end of the day, like, do you, do you love me? Love my sheep. Do you love me? Love my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And he's, he's drawing those three moments of denial into this um, restoration process. And at the end of the day, it's do you love me? Is there a relationship with me? Peter had experienced everything he knew. Experience. He had known all of the intellect. And yet there's this, there's this union piece that Jesus is seeking for. And Paul is saying the exact same thing. He's basically saying... You may be able to comprehend, basically, comprehend the knowledge of Christ, which intellectual, right, ob objective. And then he says that you may uh, know the love of Christ. It, it's, it surpasses knowledge in some ways. You would know the love of Christ, and then you would experience it subjectively. But at the end of the day, it says it's rooted and grounded in love, in relationship, in intimacy. And a lot of times we focus so much on these two things that we forget the basis of all of this. And that's why... Um, first part of our mission statement is to help people be with Jesus. A lot of us don't even know what that means. You're like, what does that mean to be with Jesus? Like, I just sit at a coffee shop and let him sit on the other side, and then when someone comes to sit down, I'm like, no, 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 Jesus is right there, right? Like, what does it mean? It's intimacy. What does that mean? Well, that's why you're here, right? That's why we're all here, because we're trying to learn and grow and figure that out together. Um, and so I, I just think if you're, on, if you're on one side or the other, you're evaluating these things, and at the end of the day, I don't think, it, it, like, if you're like, oh, I'm 70% objective and 30% subjective, right? You have like a bias. It's not the end of the world. But think about the Israelites, right? Like you, they, they literally had countless subjective experiences with God and still didn't believe him. So, I mean, literally this, this is like the funniest scripture in Exodus. Exodus 14, the Egyptian army is coming after them. They're pinned against the Red Sea. And they're like, oh my gosh, we should just go back and be slaves to be better than what's going to happen. And then it says in verse 30, That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and, and Israel saw the Egyptians lie, lying dead on the shore. He parted the literal Red Seas. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against them, 
The people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Okay, and then three days later, they're thirsty. Oh, man, if only we had some water to drink, right? We know that story, and boom, water comes out. Man, if we're so hungry, if only we had food, God makes it rain bread. <laughs> a few chapters later, I guess, like I said last week, they, uh, Moses takes a little break with God, relationship with God, and then they're like, let's just burn all of our metal down and turn into a calf and worship a different God because we don't really know if this God is really going to sustain us. So for many of us, we can say like subjective experiences matter, but we have a pretty strong track record of humans being humans, and you're no different. And so, uh, as Mason alluded to, which I just loved your story, by the way, the, like the, I avoided the Jesus high the first time, right? Like, I didn't want to just, like, I didn't just want this experience to be the foundation of everything. I wanted to have kind of this holistic understanding. And then the, the second time it got you, but through that process, right, you're journeying intellectually, probably. And you're, you're like, you have this time to process. I don't know about you, but many of us who have decided to follow Jesus had no idea what we were getting into at the beginning. We're like, yes, Jesus, amen. And then like a month later, you're like, oh, I have to give that up? Ooh. And you have to give more of your heart to Jesus, right? And then, oh, I get, I get to do that, or I need to do that, or I, I, I like, what an, what, a, wow, what an awesome thing, but I had no idea this is the trajectory of how I would think about these things. We give up pieces more and more. We're surrendering more and more of our heart as we become aware of what it means in line with the kingdom of Jesus. And in the same way, these experiences matter, but they are not the end result. It has to be rooted and grounded in Christ's love. So Jesus is, is, is aware of all of this. And what I love is before he sends them out to do this wonderful uh, book of Acts, right, the Acts of the Apostles, he's, he's kind of showing you this is the narrative of follower of Jesus. Like we, we deal with all of this tension. We do. And, and at the end of the day, you don't graduate from this. Like I still deal with this, right? I might have a dry season in a certain area and I'm like, man, I just really wish God would show up in this way. I really wish like I would experience God in this deep way. And, and I, I mean, all of us, I think, battle with this. And he's not like, like I said, Jesus is, if this is the last kind of pastoral moment for him and the disciples, it's very clear that he's aware that this tension is going to become a reality for humans. It's just how we are. It's how we process. We're prone to doubt and sin. And so after he, he moves into affirming all of this, right? He breaks bread, intimacy, relationship. Their eyes are open, and they're like, man, our hearts burned. Like, we had experienced things, and now we understand, and now there's relationship, and now we get it. We get the point of Jesus in relationship with him. And then he goes back to the disciples, and he comforts them, and he eats fish. Then after that, he says this in Luke 24. And said to them, thus it stands written that the Christ would suffer and would rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So this is, this is it. Like This is Jesus' great commission. We, we talk about it more in Matthew, but it's here in Luke too. With Jesus is saying, here's what happens now. And I, I think if you just like boiled this down, it's the most succinct gospel message. Like Christ had to suffer and die, and he rose again. And in that, it's the repentance and the forgiveness of our sins and that we proclaim that to all of the world. That's why we're considered evangelical. That's what that originally meant, was that we believe that part of our call of following Jesus is to share that good news with other people. That we're not just to stay in our own little box and kind of live our own little life, and if people want to choose to join, great. No, like part of our calling is that idea. It says, you will be witnesses of these things to come. So there's two things in this verse that I want us to just center on right here. The first one is to who, and it says to all nations. 
which is everyone. <laughs> so who needs to hear the good news, right? Your family, your coworker, your students, your enemies, even, dare I say, right? Uh, how about your siblings, other countries? Putin needs to hear the good news, believe it or not. Russia, unreached people groups in Africa, places where the gospel is illegal, places where people are dying of starvation, people where they're living on a dollar a day, which is like half the world, right? All of these people, everyone needs to hear it, and this is why mission work is so important, right? We can get so closed up in our own little bubble, right? And we forget that like, God wants this entire world to praise his name, and he wants us to be a part of that. And the good news of that is, well, I don't know about you, but I don't think that's going to happen. Like, I, I have a job to do, and I think I'll continue doing it till I die. Maybe we'll hit the number before I die, but as of right now, I'm planning on doing this till I die. And we all should do the same. Like, this is our mission and our goal, and everything else around it should, should submit itself to that very goal. Second piece, so it's, it's, it's for everyone. The second piece is that it is done by us. We are to be witnesses of this. Witness, in this sense in the Greek would mean to bear testimony. So how do you bear, how do you bear witness when you, when you go to a court, right? What do they do? Well, they say a lot of like words. They explain stories, right? They give you some experiences. And the reason why there's a court on both sides is because it's subjective. So if one person says one thing and the other person says the other thing, well, who's right? You have to discern both of those. And that's why part of witnessing is sharing in subjective experiences. It's sharing in that powerful witness of the Spirit in other people's lives. Let me give you a tangible example. Uh, $500 could change someone's life right now. Maybe you don't have $500, maybe you do. But $500 could change someone's life right now. And I would, I would beg to argue that that could be a very powerful experience in someone's life. And the, wor the, the best thing about it is they say, well, you know, why are you doing this? Let's just say you tip $500, I don't know. Um, why are you doing this? Well, like Jesus is just giving me so much. It's not my money, it's God's. Like I'm just here to give it away and I'm here to bless people and I'm here to have people experience God's love with $500. What about just giving your time, right? Like just literally like, hey, I'm going to just go help this person that I'm going to expect nothing in return. Are these subjective experiences that people can experience? There is something about these very people that are crazy a little bit, but I kind of like it, right? That's why generosity is, is a massive mark of followers of Jesus, because we know that all these things don't actually matter, but we leverage them in order to, for people to experience the thing that truly does matter, right? And so people can experience subjective realities. We also teach the good news, right? Jesus did it through word and through deed. Words, he gave us the, the idea of here's, here's what we're believing in, repentance of your sins, turning away and choosing my kingdom and accepting my sacrifice for you, accepting that you're sinful, accepting that I can take that because you can't. And that is the objective experience. Now, some of us, like I said, are way more passionate about one or the other, right? But at the end of the day, like, Jesus has given us the plan. Both of these should, should lead us to relationship with Jesus. And what I've found, to be very, very honest in my own pursuit of, of, of being a part of this mission and other people's lives, is this piece is very hard for them. Like, it's very abstract, it doesn't necessarily make sense. It requires discipleship and teaching. And I've realized if I don't know how to do this, I can't teach it. And at the end of the day, it's up to Jesus to provide this, right? But, but am, I, am I capable of this? And so what, I, what I, I want you to feel in the midst of this is like, okay, Easter is a, a beautiful reality for me. But Jesus did not resurrect and say, all right, guys, enjoy your life. See you later, right? He did not. He gave them very specific instructions and for us to claim a belief in what Jesus had done on Easter and to not claim a life following him and what he tells us to do 
are very contrary to one another. And these two principles rooted in this provide a reality because Jesus is giving us the framework. Here's the instructions. And then what's so beautiful about this is that we don't do this on our own power. And this is what I think some of us need to know. We feel like, well, I'm insecure. I'm not smart enough. Or I, don't, I haven't had these experiences. Or, you know, you name your, your fear that the, the Satan is, like, eating you up with, right? Jesus says in Paul, this is why I love this scripture that Paul had. Paul says, I pray that according to the wealth of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened. The first thing before rooted in love and grounded in love is with power through his spirit. Power through his spirit. So all of this, you are not alone. You are not. And you are not doing it alone. And the spirit is in the midst of all of this. And this is why the Acts of the Apostles is so wild for us to read. Because it is all spirit-led. Like, it is a consistent prayer and fasting and dependence on the Spirit to do the work that they knew they couldn't do on their own. If you read these disciples through the book of Luke, through the book of Matthew, I mean, they're, they, they're not very good. <laughs> they're kind of a joke, like, in a lot of ways. They're not in any way solid, like, should not own a business, you know? Like, they just can't do it. And then you read the book of Acts, and you feel like you see this flip where you're like, what is going on? And we're going to talk about that over the next several weeks of the book of Acts but I want you to know every time we read a story in the book of Acts, every time we see thousands come to Christ in the book of Acts, every time that we see um, them discern, should we send this person? Should we go this way? Should we heal this person? It is all rooted in the power of the Spirit, rooted and grounded in love, portraying the word and the deed of Christ. The objective and the subject of coming and being married through a rooted in love in Christ. And, and that's what I want you to know because when you read the book of Acts and you see these things happen, you say, why can't I just do that, right? Or, well, that was, you know, that, or someone would say, that was a different time period. Like, it's not like that today. Like, are we, are, we, are we using this formula to understand the book of Acts in our own lives? Because if we're not, we're just going to become discouraged in our own abilities, right? Well, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Or you're going to feel like, well, God's not really here. Like, he's not speaking to me in powerful ways. He's not speaking to my friend in powerful ways. Man, he must not really be in favor of me or in favor of this. And all of that is not, it's not good thinking. So as we cap all this off, right? as we kept all this idea and we put it in like this nice little uh, carry-on for the book of Acts, uh, Jesus tells us one more thing in light of all of this. And he says in verse 20, or 49, in verse 49 he says, and look, I'm sending you what my father promised, which, spoiler alert, we know is the Holy Spirit, but stay in the city, Jerusalem, until you have been clothed with power from on high. I, I, I love that, hey, here's, here's, the, here's the manual for taking over the world in love. Like, here it is. Here's what you're going to do. But actually, wait for a second. I don't know about you. I don't like that. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, let's go. Let's run out these doors and go talk to some people. Let's go, like, text our friend or, like, remind someone that we're praying for them. Or, you know, like, let's, let's, let's jump into action. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Wait. I think that is the hardest thing that you can possibly do. I mean, think about that. They, they, they're like unsure. He reveals himself to them. They're like, oh my gosh, we get it. We understand. And he's like, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go be witnesses. You're going to do all these things. All right, great, great. Okay, but wait for the Spirit. Wait for the Spirit. In one, uh, in one gospel, it says they, they continue to worship and glorify God in the temple. And then in the book of Acts, we know, coming next week, that the Spirit does arrive. But for many of us, we are not willing to wait. Many of us aren't moving at all. Many of us are like just trying to muscle, muscle it, right, in our own, our own capacity. 
And Jesus is like, hey, just, just wait. Just wait. And what do you do when you wait? You process, you pray, you fast. You think about what is, what is, like, waiting is not waiting. Waiting is not watching five Netflix shows, right? You know? All right, I guess I'll just numb myself till the spirit comes, and then we'll be good to go, right? <laughs> That's, I guess we'll just wait till finals week, and then I'll study then, right? We all know how that goes. I'll just cram it all, and then two weeks later, I won't know what to do. I won't even remember what class it was. It is, it is not, waiting is a purposeful, intentional, it's, it's, a, it's getting on your knees. It's saying, like, the world that's moving doesn't matter. Think about this. Jesus dies on, uh, right, right, before, right before on the Sabbath day. And in that culture, you could, you know, when you're crucified, you usually last a lot longer, but they didn't want to deal with him on the Sabbath because, you know, they can't work on the Sabbath. We can't, we can't kill this guy on the Sabbath, right? Even though we're torturing him right now, we can't do it on the Sabbath. So he dies, they put him in a tomb, and then they have to wait a whole day to go back. Like, I mean, that it's the Sabbath. I just think, like, think about that. Like, Jesus dies and purposely leaves a season of waiting for all of these people in mourning and lamenting and in confusion and disillusionment. Like, he doesn't just die and then they're like, oh, like, they have to sit in that tension. And in the same way, hey, hey, here's the plan, but wait. So for many of us, I, I really just think, do we need to just spend a small season of waiting? Is there someone in our life, is there this area in our life, is there this like third space, this space that we've, we've fostered good relationships, we're excited about being a witness of Jesus, but we just feel like, man, we're just like, it's not working, and we're forcing it, or God's not there, or whatever you feel, right? Is there, just, is there just a needing to wait, to just spend some time in prayer, to fast, to actually care in putting your body behind what you want God to do? And, and for us, that is, I think, it's so funny, like the week after Easter, I'm supposed to be like, get out there, go love some people, right? It's Easter every day. Right? Go tell your neighbor. Quit being afraid, right? And I'm like, no, actually, like, wait. Take some time. Pray. What is, who is the Lord revealing to you? Because at the end of the day, like I said, it's not your power. You're not going to win someone over by your cool words. Right? I'm not going to do that. And I think I'm somewhat smart. <laughs> like that? That's good. <laughs> but it's true. I don't want you to, like, like, like don't trust me. Right? I mean, at the end of the day, am I the gateway to heaven? No. The words of life are. And who's the one that's going to like, do the work for you? The Spirit. So if we wait, we are, we are, we are willingly being obedient. Like Mason said, uh, it's a Eugene Peterson phrase. Obedience in the same, a long obedience in the same direction. It is, I am not running ahead of you, God. Because I know when I run ahead of you, I start doing things my own way. And I start thinking that I'm either better or worse based on that. I'm going to hold your hand, and I'm going to wait. And I'm going to pray through these things like I really care about them. I've learned this the hard way. As a pastor, believe it or not, it's going to shock you. It's actually really hard to create time for prayer. And you're like, well, you try your jobs to pray. Come on, man. Well, maybe I'm not a very good pastor. I don't know. But I, I have to fight for it, just like anybody else. I can show up and sit in my office and just start just working. Admin, right, meetings, calls, all that stuff, easily. Am I waiting? Am I actually praying for the things I care about? If there's somebody in our church who's struggling, am I trying to figure out what's the next four conversations I need to have to fix them? Or am I yearning for the Spirit to do a work that I can't do? And for many of you, you just you got to just stop trying to be the superhero, and you need to spend a season of waiting. Because the Spirit will not, he will not forsake you. You can read the book of Acts tonight. He did not forsake them. <laughs> they did some crazy, crazy stuff. So I want to close. I want to invite David up as we kind of transition into a time of, uh, of reflection. And I want to ask a few of these questions that I want you to just kind of rack your brain with. The first one is, do I have a good gauge 
in my own faith journey of it being rooted in love. Now, maybe it has this piece, right, objective subjective experience, but is it rooted in this or is it rooted in this? And one of the ways that I would tell you, here's the barometer, is do you feel less or more when you see things around you like God moving around you? Do you feel like you did that thing? Do you feel good about yourself? Do you feel worse about yourself when things don't occur, right? Do you gauge God's presence based on how good you think you're doing, right? These type of things that start to creep in, these lies that we start to believe, whether it's pride, I'm really great, look at me, or it's, it's um, you know, insecurity, man, I'm, I'm the worst, I don't have this gift, I can't do this. Do I have a good gauge of that and understanding? Have I ever overemphasized one or the other? Have you played idolatry with the very things God has created, right? It's one thing for God to have creation. It's another thing for us to elevate that over the creator. Have I elevated an experience? Have I taken an intellectual principle and I have, I, have, I have pursued that over the very essence of love? Paul says in another, another book, hey, uh, you can have all these things, but if you don't have love, you don't have anything. Have I, have I chosen experience over the, the own ability to love people? Have I chosen an intellectual understanding, a principle? Am I becoming a Pharisee, for lack of better words? I know the thing. I can't love people. Are the, it, have I made idols out of the very things that God has brought into this earth for good pleasure? Next question. What is stopping me from being rooted in love? What is stopping you? Are, is it one of these things? Am I overemphasizing them? Am I, and I need to let go in a certain area of my life. Third question, if I feel confident that I am currently rooted in love, right? Some of you are just like, I'm in a good place. I feel really good. Easter was great. Easter was great. I feel good. I'm in a good place. Am I living as though I have been commissioned by Jesus? Meaning, am I ready to spend a season of waiting and then to just, just release myself, right? It's like track runners, right? They get down and they have that small glimpse where they, they like get in posture, right? And they're like ready because if they don't do that, they can't use, maximize their bodies, right, to start. Am I spending time where I'm ready to just pounce when the Spirit calls me to? And am, am, I, am, I, am, I, am I thinking and processing through the ways the Spirit can help me share the good news through word and action? And then the last, the last question, have I spent any time in a, in a season of purposeful waiting with Jesus in order to witness and love those missionally? So we're going to leave those questions up. Um, and I encourage you to process through this. Take a serious evaluation. I don't, I don't think there's, there's very much uh, my own life in some of those areas where I just feel like I'm really excited about certain things God's been doing in people in my life. And I am just so quickly, so quickly, like, just, it's all about Trey. Like, what do I need to say? What do I need to do? What, you know? And that, that is just a, such a wrong way of thinking. It's futile. It's, it is exhausting. So as you take time to reflect on those questions, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have um, the bread and the cup here. This is a reminder. If you were here last week, I'm probably going to keep saying it, but the bread and the cup uh, is a reminder of the intimacy and the relationship that Jesus has with you and that the sacrifice he made for you. Those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they, they remembered who he was when he broke the bread. And uh, that's why we take this together as we remind ourselves Jesus broke his body for our own uh, sins that we might be able to be restored, that we might be able to be then commissioned to do what he calls us to. Um, so we'll have time for that as well. And then if you want prayer, there are people in the back with prayer lanyards who are only here today serving in this capacity because they believe in the power of prayer and they want to pray for you. So I'd encourage you, if you need prayer, there's people in the back. I'll be up here if, if you need prayer. And uh, then we're going to close in one more song. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.